0: Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. With that being said, let's start back into where we left off in Genesis. And we're looking at Abraham's life, obviously, in Sarai, and we're looking at the problems they created for themselves. Now, if you recall, the problem exists like this, they're told that a promised child will come through them, and that this promised child will be, you know, carry on the Abrahamic covenant, it will go into uh, having a descendancy, which refers to the Jewish people, and then out of the Jewish people will come one seed, uh, the Jewish Messiah. So this is a big deal. So the birth of this child um, has a lot of consequences to it, okay? So, what happens is, as you know in the story, Sarah is barren. She cannot have a child. And so, Abraham's told this promise, and they're sitting here for nearly a decade after what God told them. And they're sitting there twiddling their thumbs saying, "Okay, when's this going to happen? When's this going to happen? When's God going to pull the trigger?" Because they're getting older. And by the way, they're past childbearing years. Uh, Abraham is in his mid-80s. Sarah, Sarai at this time is about probably mid-70s somewhere in that neighborhood. And, you know, they're 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 getting past anything that can happen to them other than a miracle. And at, at this point, you know they're, they're you know they're taking their teeth out at night and they 're soaking them in polydent and and you know they're on a good a good steady diet of insure and and so they're getting up there, okay uh, i don 't know why people drink insure. there's plenty of good protein drinks to drink other than insure, but anyway, nonetheless that 's on my own gripe, but anyway, they're at that stage, okay, and they're like, this is not going to happen, and you can see. What starts happening is humanistic reasoning. Well, if this is not going to happen, and we're, you're barren, then I wonder if we should look at this a different way. And that's when they start getting in trouble. And what they start doing is probably thinking in terms of spiritual, uh, spiritual providence. And what do I mean by that? Yes, God works behind the scenes. It's called the unseen hand of God. But here's what they're probably thinking. Well... If you're not going to have a baby, and it's been 10 years, maybe what God is trying to say to us, Sarai, is that, remember when we went down in Egypt, and remember that whole debacle, and, and then out of that, Pharaoh gave us wealth, and he gave us men and maidservants, and, and you took a, ma- a maidservant named Hagar, and she's your, your maidservant. Well, perhaps, maybe what he meant was is to do what the culture's doing, which if you can't have a baby, then you go and have a surrogate mother, and maybe Hagar is the surrogate mom that we need to have the baby, the baby through, and legally that child would become yours. Now, I, in our culture, we're like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. Going to a concubine to have a baby, and, then, and that baby becomes your child? Yes, because that's how they did it in the ancient world, legally. Legally, you could do that if the woman was barren. You could go to a concubine, have a child through them. And that child legally becomes your child, even though it's a different mom. Okay, that we, that we would call it surrogacy. Okay, they practiced that, but it wasn't from God. If that makes sense. And here's the thing: they think they're going to solve their solution by a a cultural practice that's allowed. But unfortunately, it will violate a biblical practice of the two shall become one, okay? So just because in our culture that something may be legal doesn't make it right. So abortion is legal, but that doesn't make it right. Gay marriage is legal, but that doesn't make it right, right? Okay, so it's that kind of thing. So they're starting to reason, and that's what they default into, okay? And so they create their own problem, by their human reasoning rather than waiting on God. And it gets them in a the mess. So let's start with a story. Uh, we, we already did verse 1 and 2, but here is where the problem comes in. And this, my friends, is the biggest problem they could have ever got into. Because this problem is a 4,000-year-old problem It's happening right now. You saw in the prophecy updates, all what's happening in the Middle East with Israel, right? This will create the Arab-Israeli conflict that you see today, and it is so over the top that no one humanly can solve it. It's going to take Jesus to come back at the second coming to figure this all out and straighten it out. That's how big the problem is. So here's the root. Then Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So this is where you get the decade of waiting. And so Sarai says, okay, let me help, help the situation out, Abraham. I have a solution. Let's do it the way the world does it, and that way you'll have a child, okay? Again, notice what's missing there's no, well, let's go to the Lord and ask him in prayer. Let's seek the Lord's guidance that no, 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 no. We're just we're gonna take matters into our own hands, and here's what we're going to do. You take Hagar and have a child with her. Okay. But what they don't know is the warning for all of us it's the unintended consequences of doing things our way. So here's the problem. When we have issues come up in our lives, the problems, you know, we're all, we're, no one's going to be problem-free, the first thing typically males want to do is solve the problem immediately. And that's a good thing. But the problem is some of the problems don't get solved in one day. It's a process. It's, it, it's a major undertaking. And so you, show, you see the problem, but you can't solve it. Typically, people want to solve the problem and get rid of the problem immediately. Well... I'm sorry, if you try to do that, you will hijack yourself. It will mess the whole situation up because you're going to get into what we call human expediency. Get rid of the problem ASAP. And God is saying, no, you will probably have to live with that problem the rest of your life, so there's no running from this. <clears throat> That's what they're doing. Solve the problem immediately, get the problem away from me. Okay? Okay. So let me show you an example of, of this, this human expediency with a bad example. This is a bad example, okay? Now here's what, let me set the, 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 the stage. Because Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, thank God, okay? And a lot of states have reversed this in their states. God bless them, okay? Okay? Obviously, California's not reversing it, so you know we're wicked, not you and I, but the state of California, Sacramento's wicked, so they're still allowing abortion and abortion tourism. But now, the left is so afraid that their so-called rights are being taken away, and it's not rights, by the way, it's their their desire to want to murder a baby as a consequence of their sexual activity. That's what's really happening, okay? So... <laughs> Think about how stupid this is. The threat of taking away a woman's reproductive rights. I mean, you have to enter that mindset, okay? So this is what the solution is for the women. Watch this and see if this is not crazy.
1: As the fight over access to abortion and abortion medication is ongoing across the country in this post-Roe v. Wade world, we're also hearing anecdotally that more women are opting for sterilization because they're afraid of unwanted pregnancies in a post-Roe world. CNN's Elizabeth Cohen talks now to a doctor who says she's seeing three times more of these requests for sterilization than before Roe v. Wade was overturned.
0: I'm Kara, I had my tubes taken out last week. This is
1: one.
2: Kara Niels, 25 years old, opted six months ago to be sterilized. Danny Marietti, also 25, had a picnic to celebrate her sterilization last July, complete with commemorative cookies. Mariah Marsh also had her tubes removed as a 28th birthday present to herself in January. All three have known for a long time that they don't want children. And after Roe v. Wade was overturned last year, they got sterilized. And I knew that the only way I could really protect myself is to go ahead and get the surgery. Mariah, an admissions officer at Indiana University, has a neuromuscular disease that can make pregnancy risky. She said the ongoing legal battle over mifepristone makes her even more grateful she got sterilized. The legal challenge to this drug, one of two used together in medication abortion, could bar its use for abortion nationwide in the future. It does make me happy that I made the decisions that I made because it it validates my thought process, which was, They're just going to come for any access to care that a woman can make on her own. Dr. Leah Tatum, an obstetrician-gynecologist in Austin, Texas, said she hears this frequently from patients. Their concerns are if medical abortions are no longer accessible. What if their reproductive rights uh, are restricted even further? She says as abortion rights are getting chipped away... I have definitely seen an increase in the request for sterilization. I see about three times the consults for sterilization as I used to. Women like Mariah, Danny, and Kara... Find somebody in your area. Find somebody who's covered by your insurance. ...are it's secure also- in their <laughs> choice, as some options for choosing a life without children are being taken
0: away. Unbelievable. So, in their humanistic thinking, us... Uh, us giving, taking away their right to murder a baby in the womb. So their solution to that is I'll just go get sterilized. Uh, wh- what circus are you in to even go there that you would sterilize yourself? How about this? Why don't you just act moral? Why don't you just stop having sex outside of marriage and quit the nonsense that you... So you're sterilizing yourself so you can go have sex with anybody and have no consequences. That's what it is. But you see the humanistic reasoning? It's humanistic. Well, I'll just sterilize myself since the courts are taking away my ability to kill babies. Really? Wow. Let me balance this out a little bit. So you have the, 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 the warning that you see here of... Don't take matters into your own hands and try to solve a problem immediately that you can't handle, okay? Don't try to get rid of the problem. We definitely want to attack the problem, but you got to know your limits, okay? And if the Lord, you got to wait on the Lord. If he's not telling you to do something, you stay put. If, if you're like, you know what, I don't have any direction in this, I have a problem in front of me, and I don't, I don't know what to do, then good. Stay where you're at and don't do anything at this point. Just wait on the Lord. Okay, if you start taking matters into your own hands, you will complicate the problem. But once he does show you what to do, then you are to act immediately. Okay, so you wait, you wait, you wait, and then he says, Okay, open door, then boom, go right through it. Don't delay if he opens the door. And that's what he's trying to point out here in Luke 9, uh, uh, 59 through 60. Talking about following him. He said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, I don't have time to unpack this. I did this on Wednesday night. What's the the overall point? Once the Lord calls you to do something, he opens the door. Then do it immediately. Don't go back and do something or delay it. Drag your feet. Okay? So this is how you balance out human expediency. No. Spiritual expediency. Yes. Yes. So there's a balance. Now, when you're waiting on the Lord for him to open the door, okay, you are to practice active waiting spiritually. Active waiting, not passive waiting, okay? So like, let's, 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 let's give you an example. So <clears throat> I'm looking for the ultimate job. Lord, I want to do your will. Uh, please uh, guide me to whatever that job might be. Okay, the 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 passive waiting for that is this. I'm going to sit on the couch and play video games. And then I know the Lord will bring the job to me and I'll hear the doorbell ring and someone will say, we heard you're an expert gamer and we think you could be the CEO of our company. So here's the, the package. Here's your benefits. You're our dream kid. Why don't you start working for us? Come on, let's go. If you think that's gonna, it's going to happen, you're out of your mind. But active waiting would be this. I need a job that I want to find the will of God, so what do I do? Well, get yourself out there and start putting your resume out. And start doing your interviews. And as you are out there actively waiting, eventually he'll open the door and you will find the right place. That's how you actively wait. You don't sit back and let, it, let him serve it up to a, on a silver platter. You have to do your part without getting into his part. Okay? So that's the balance. But let's see what happens. So, major problem. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. Well, here we go. Tater chip, let her rip. This is the problem. Now you have two wives going on here. So now we have a mess. Now we have two wives going on here, which is a violation of Genesis. I wonder how that's going to work. I'm sure the two women will get along, don't they? They'll get along, won't they? When, when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Of course, what did you expect? Oh, this is wonderful! Let's throw you a baby shower. I'm so happy for you. Did you think that was going to happen with two women in the house like that? No, no. So what happens? That her mistress become this uh, became despised in her eyes. So what happens? Hagar gets all pumped up, prideful. Well, look at me. I had a baby. I must be blessed of God. And Sarai is cursed of God. I'm better now. I, I'm showing that God is really after it likes me better than Sarai, so she's actually cursing Sarai. The word curse, kalal, is the same. It is bitterness, envy, jealousy, the whole nine yards. Okay. Then Sarai said to Abraham, "I wonder how she's going to react. My wrong be upon you. you. Know what she's saying? You're to blame for all of this. I'm just trying to help you out, man." Because it's the reason we can't have a baby is probably because of you, not me. And so I decided to help you out in this endeavor. I sacrificed myself. You don't understand the sacrifice I make, Abraham, for you every day. And, and, and you don't realize what I have to give. No one sees it. No one cares. And so I give you my concubine, and now she turns on me like a sheep-killing dog. You need to deal with it. It's your fault. I was just the victim. Are you watching this? And when she saw that, I, that she had conceived, I became despised. She starts cursing me out in her eyes. And oh, by the way, and the Lord judged between you and me. And now she spiritualizes it. I want to say, Sarai, um, why are you bringing the Lord into this? Because you and Abraham kept him out. You decided to do something without the Lord. And all of a sudden, you're the, you, you play the victim, <clears throat> and you cause a problem. You want to say, foul. And you want to say, oh, I, the Lord needs to intervene now and, and straighten this all out, what you did and Hagar did to me. Uh, no, this is typical. When someone creates their own problems, what they try to do is get away from the problem they created and they, become, they take on victim mentality and then they, say, they spiritualize it saying, I'm just a martyr. I was just trying to do the right thing. Oh, really? You, you thought that would work out. And so people do that all the time. They want to play the victim, the martyr, and oh, I'm the sacrificial lamb they want to portray. Okay? So she's spiritualizing a bad decision. It's your fault, Abraham, that this went down. It's her fault. Well, Sarah, who's the one who gave your servant over to Abraham to sleep with? Who did that? Was it Sally Two Trees down the road? Who was it? Because you are the owner of her. You see how she doesn't want to own it? So he's got two twisted sisters on his hands. Principle, before we move on, using wrong methodology even for a good goal. Okay? You use the wrong methodologies. You're going to shoot yourself. Right? You are going to turn the gun right on you. Because even if you have a good goal, they have a good goal. Have a baby, the nation of Israel, the Messiah. They have a good goal. There's nothing wrong with that. Their methodologies are wrong. They're not godly methodologies. They are the world's methodologies of accomplishing this thing. And here's the problem. The unforeseen, unintended consequences that will come from this decision is beyond their capacity to even know. This is the problem. We don't know if we do something out of the will of God, what are the unintended consequences that come from that. Now, some of us are living with them right now. Like we made a decision, it was a bad decision, and now here are the consequences that you couldn't foresee, you couldn't know, but they're with you. This is what's happening here, right? And so let me show you an example of unintended consequences. It's the social media dilemma with AI. Now, here's the thing: Uh, I'm not going to go into AI, you know, turn it into the Terminator. But they're on the brink of this. Understand this: that the next, the next phase of AI is they can't control it. It will get out of control and start doing things that hates humans. Okay, it's demonic. But let's look at first contact. Okay, Um, this is Tristan Harris. Tristan Harris is an ethicist for AI. He's the only one, because the rest of the guys who are creating AI are unethical, okay? They don't care if Skynet wants to kill us all with Terminator slaughterbots. They don't care. They just want to race to the top and get it and achieve this new AI god, okay? So what's been our first contact with AI? Well, it's been social media, Okay, And the whole pitch of social media to our kids and us, well, we'll have connection, uh, you'll be able to have a voice, all these wonderful things they said would happen, but what's the unintended consequences that it's produced? Watch this.
1: Social media was actually humanity's first first contact moment between humanity and AI. I'm curious if that makes sense to you because it's... When you open up TikTok and you scroll your finger, you just activated the supercomputer, the AI pointed at your brain to calculate and predict with increasing accuracy, the perfect thing that will keep you scrolling. So we already had, we now have every single day an AI, which is a very simple technology, just calculating what photo, what video, what cat video, what birthday, to show your nervous system to keep you scrolling. But that fairly simple technology was enough in the first contact with AI to break humanity with information overload, addiction, doom scrolling, sexualization of kids, shortened attention spans, polarization, fake news, and breakdown of democracy. And no one intended those things to happen, right? We just had a bunch of engineers who said, we're just trying to maximize for engagement. It seemed so innocuous, and while you're getting better and better recommendations on YouTube that are more and more personalized, the YouTube people didn't know that would lead to rabbit holes that sent people into different little micro-cults throughout the internet. And so in this first contact with social media, humanity lost. Now, now, why did we lose? How could we have lost? Because we were saying a bunch of things about what social media was, right? We actually noticed, we said we're, social media is going to give everyone a voice. The point here is just like we said, there's a paradigmatic response to AI. What was the paradigm from which we were seeing what social media was about? The paradigm was, we're giving people voice, giving them a platform, we're connecting people with their friends, we're letting people join like-minded communities. We're going to enable small, medium-sized businesses to reach their customers. And these things are all true. These are actual benefits. These are awesome benefits. These were not incorrect things to say. But one of the things we like to say is, behind this friendly face, there was some other problems. (laughs) And people pointed them out. We've got an addiction problem, a disinformation problem, mental health, free speech versus censorship. But in our work, if you've been following it and saw Social Dilemma, we sort of said, even behind that, there was actually this even deeper thing, which was this arms race, which we talked about in that third law of technology. And the arms race was for attention, what became the race to the bottom of the brainstem. And that was created this kind of engagement monster that was this AI that was just trying to maximize engagement, So while these things on the left are true, we miss the deeper paradigm. And so we think that if we want to predict what's going to happen with these other AIs that are going to infuse themselves in society, we have to understand what's actually behind the way, the narratives that we're using to talk about it. And just note, if you try to solve these problems, addiction, disinformation, mental health on their own, you're going to be playing whack-a-mole and you're not going to get to the sort of like generator functions. You're not actually going to solve the problem. And it's important to note that maximize engagement actually wasn't, it, re- it rewrote the rules of every aspect of our society because it took these other core aspects of our society into its tentacles and, st- and took them hostage. So now children's identity is held hostage by if you're you know, 18 years old and you don't have a Snapchat account or an Instagram account, you don't exist. Right? It has it held that hostage. You are socially excluded if you don't do that. Um, media and journalism don't happen or can't exist outside of being on Twitter and being able to promote yourself on Twitter. National security now happens through social media and information warfare, politics and elections. These things are now run through this engagement economy, which has infused itself and entangled itself, which is why it's now so hard to regulate. And part of why we, had, we wanted to call this moment here is we believe major step functions in AI are coming. And we want to get to it before it becomes entangled in our society.
0: So at the bottom line, we got something to fear. They have created a monster, Frankenstein, that they can't put back in the box. Okay? And you can bring all the torches and pitchforks out to, to corral Frankenstein, but you're not going to cr- stop the monster. They have created something they can't stop. And what it's doing to people is it's controlling their minds and their reality. That's what the social media things are doing. It's unintended consequences, they say. And, and now our kids and young adults are suffering from addiction, from uh, depression, suicide, because of why? They're watching what's on Instagram, TikTok, and all these things, and it's creating an anxiety disorder, stress all kinds of stuff, and creating alternative realities because you can go and create this subgroup cult that you could be in and then create your own reality. Well, why do we have? you think we're having a problem with transgenderism? It's because people have created their own reality through social media because they can be affirmed in that unreality on social media. There's thousands of people that would celebrate uh, Dylan Mulvaney. There's a thousand people, and they, well, I got a thousand likes, so I must be doing something right. And it creates insanity. That's what they've done to the culture. And it's not stopping. But what's the point? You create something on your own as a human, and it's not God led. You will have these unintended consequences that will actually destroy you at the end. That's what Abraham and Sarah are experiencing. And that's a good example right here with AI. So, check this out. You ready for this one, folks? So, Abraham said to Sarah, Book of Hesitations, chapter 2, let me face this head on. I will settle the problem between you two, ladies. Bless God, I'm getting in there and I created a problem. I'm responsible for this. Don't worry, ladies. I'm Superman. I'm going to come to the rescue and settle the problem. No. Does it say that? No, because the scripture says, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her, as you please. What? What is he doing? Do you see what he's doing? He is saying, it's fourth down and five. I'm punting this. Boop. And he just punts it right away. This is the the way you say, whatever you want, Dear. That's what he is saying. He's not going to get involved. He's not going to unravel their bickering and their fighting. He's going to say, eh, you know what? You do with her what you want to do. She's your lady. You gave her to me, and I'm just the victim in the circumstances that you created, Sarah. So you go fix it because you're the one who started the problem. It's his responsibility to fix it, but he won't. So he's wanting to be rescued. And the way he's rescuing is by punting it, saying, she's yours. I don't want to get involved. Excuse me, you have to be involved. You're the one who had sex with her. You're the one who conceived a baby with her. You better be involved, or you're going to be one of these absentee fathers that you see all over the United States. Look at this book at Amazon. Yeah, let that title sink in. You see the title? Let it, Just let it sink in. Passive men and wild women. Okay? Can you be more blunt than that? And what do you think the cause is? Well, it's the Adam and Eve syndrome. The woman wants the headship. She takes control because the man is passive and he won't lead. That's it. Adam syndrome, Eve syndrome. And then we have titles of book called Passive Men and Wild Women. Uh, Oh, yeah, that that actually book can be put on the principle of what Abraham and Sarai and Hagar are doing right now. Because the man won't take the decisive action to confront the problem because he wants to run from it, the women go wild in his family. His family is going upside down because of this, and it's causing actually more problems. So Abraham is causing a rivalry because he won't act. Understand this. Our jobs as leaders, men, is to create an environment where we put down rivalries because we're taking an active stance to stop it. It's, it is your problem. You are your brother's keeper. You must stop it, otherwise, your house will go upside down. And so, what do we have? You have a woman, Hagar, her spiritual pride oh, I'm blessed of God, hashtag blessed, and she's cursed. And then you have Sarai saying, I'm a victim, I can't believe this happened, I was only trying to help, I'm the martyr, feel sorry for me, and I'm going to start justifying why I treat her harshly. I'm justified in treating her mean because what she did to me and Abraham did, I'm just a victim, God judge between you and I. And Abraham's wanting to be rescued. See, the problem is, We create problems, and they get so overwhelming. We're like, okay, I can't deal with this anymore. And then we want rescue. Get someone come in and rescue us. And, oh, Lord, please deliver me from my problems. And you know what he does? He doesn't. I wonder why he doesn't. We have created the problem, and he's saying, no, 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 no. You go right back there, and you deal with it. You're the one who created the monster. You're the one that can't put the monster back in the box. You go back and deal with it. And we can't, we can't just say I want to be rescued. You have to face the problem. So anyway, notice this: the Lord doesn't intervene. Um, all through the whole story, there's no interaction with God. In chapter 16, there's nothing going on. There's no, we went to the Lord and he said this, or we prayed and fasted and we sought his, his ways. You know, No, no. The whole chapter will be devoid of God because they're not including God in their decisions. They're acting upon their own agenda. Now, here's the thing. When you act and I act on my own agenda, we say, well, I'm going to do this and I can see the, you know, Conventional wisdom tells me to do this. So if I jump off the cliff, I know that God will rescue me with his angels before I hit the ground. So I'm just going to do it and ask for forgiveness later. You ever heard that mentality? I'm just going to do something and ask for forgiveness later and jump off the cliff. I've done enough jumping to realize there's no angels that will carry you on the bo- down there. Because you're tempting, you're testing the Lord to rescue you from what the mistakes you made. And you will splat on that ground as hard as it is. And every time you hit that pavement, it gets harder and harder and harder when you hit that pavement. And and it should should send chills through your spine. When Satan tried to tempt the Lord to throw himself off the temple, what did the Lord say? Thou shalt not, what, tempt the Lord thy God. When we take matters in our own hands and say, "Will God rescue me when I throw myself off?" Good luck, because he ain't—he's not going to do that. He will not do. He will let you hit the ground. That's scary to me. That's very scary. That he won't intervene, because he doesn't intervene. God knows this is going to cause a four-thousand-year-old problem. God knows it will cause the Arab-Israeli conflict. God knows it will take His Son to solve the problem and yet he doesn't intervene what does that tell you about our own lives Woo! i better be in the will of god if i get out of it he doesn't guarantee rescue so i wonder how sarah responds to all of this i just wonder oh you know what uh honey you know let's let, let's have a shower for you now that you're having a baby and and um you know i'm, I'm just going to support you as best as i can you know because i want the best for you No, and when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Well, of course Sarah's going to act like that. She's all twisted up, and Abraham won't correct the situation. So it gets so bad that Hagar runs away from her problem, okay? So so we have everybody running away from their problems in this situation, right? Blaming everyone else, and so Hagar doesn't know how to deal with this, so she just bolts, which is a classic Jonah When problems get so overwhelming, the tendency in our human nature is to say, I'm out of here. Even though we caused the problem, I'm bolting. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm leaving. And you think that the solution is to run like Jonah. And let me tell you about when you run. If you look at Jonah, everything worked out great for him when he ran. You remember that? He had enough money in his pocket to pay the fare. And oh, by the way, the ship was going in the right direction, away from the will of God. It was perfect. Perfect. And then it was going out there and it was a bunch of Gentile seamen that were around him that wouldn't put any pressure on him as a Jewish prophet. And so he was so comfortable in his decision to run, he fell asleep. Now we know he ended up in the belly of a fish, but at the end of the day, be careful about things just opening up when you're running because that's not God, that's the devil making it easy for you to run from the will of God. So she starts running. Now here's a principle. Hagar has become the enemy of Sarai. She's the worst enemy of her. Now, how did this happen? And let me show you the principle. The principle is if you put your trust in a human being to solve your problem instead of God, Instead of taking that problem to God and saying, help me figure this out. But you say, no, the solution to the problem is Hagar. She will be the solution to our problems. And notice they're not talking to God. We're going to go to a human being to solve our problems. Hagar will be the one. That person that you put your trust in to give you freedom, to give you paradise, to answer your prayers will be the very one you despise in the end. Because they will turn on you like a sheep-killing dog. They will disappoint you. They will not pony up. They will not answer the call. They will leave you hanging. And that's the point. Because no human being is trustable like God. God is faithful. He makes good on his promises. He can deliver. He does have the power. But you decide, no, I'm going to transfer to a human being to solve my problems. Gone. Forget it. Think about all the single people that get married and marry the wrong person. Okay? Think about that. They, many people think, my life is a mess, I think I'll get married. Oh no, no. No, 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 no. You, you bring that into the marriage, your life will get even worse. So you don't get married because you think, well, if Prince Charming comes, and, and um, the princess uh cinderella comes uh, then you know and everything will be perfect i and i just it, i just know that marriage will make my life right and then it doesn't it doesn't and like oh so we go from prince charming to tarzan and, and we go from cinderella to the wicked witch of the west all of a sudden within two year span and they're like i know what'll solve the problem we're gonna have a baby And the baby will solve our problems. I know, that's, that's, and you have that baby and that baby turns out to be Cain. So at the end of the day, (laughs) at the end of the day, you're putting your hope in people rather than Jesus and those people will disappoint you every time and cause more problems and become your worst nightmare. Think about this. Look at it on a political level as an example. Uh, You really think the politicians are going to do anything for you? Now, there's a few guys here and there that, that are, are really good guys. But for the most part, we have a uniparty in, in, in politics. So people put their faith in politics, and it's like crazy. You're out of your mind. They're not going to solve the problem. They become part of the problem once they get in there. I mean, think about this. There was a time where we thought the FBI, the CIA, the DOJ, all of them were legitimate organizations. They would help the American people, and they're on the side of of justice and freedom and righteousness. Uh, Not anymore. You cannot put your faith in these institutions anymore. Can you put your faith in the institutions of public education? No. No, that's all gone. You can't put your hope, well, we're going to change education. You're out of your mind. That ship has sailed. It's gone. You've got to create an alternative now. But think about this. We used to think, at least in good faith, that corporations wouldn't do something that would alienate most of their, their, their product buyers. Okay, You think, well, why would Budweiser slice their own throat and lose sales to put on a transgender Dylan Mulvaney? But they did. And now you have Adidas, putting a dude in a onesie on their ads and trying to pass off like, what am I, you're crazy? Am I insane? To say, oh yeah, that's look at that guy. He's in a one piece. Doesn't that look great? That's a freak show. But Adidas slices their neck knowing they're going to alienate all of us who buy their product, and they don't care. So we used to think, well corporations wouldn't do that because at the at the end of a corporation it's the bottom line it's about making money and we thought that would keep them on the straight and narrow but it doesn't because you know why this junk right here is a religion it is an ideology and when you have an ideology or a religion what do you do you make sacrifices to that god so budweiser adidas and all the other people are making sacrifices to their transgender god That's why they're not, you can't trust these companies. Go to Target right now, celebrating Pride Month. There'll be a whole section from baby wear to toddlers to on up of Pride wear. Watch it, go over there and see. Target's all into it. But here's another thing that concerns me the church put its faith in these church growth gurus in the early 80s that taught us the seeker-friendly model, taught us the purpose-driven church, okay? And the church put their faith in men like Robert Schuler and Rick Warren and Bill Hybels, who were getting their information of how to grow the church from communists, from communists. The techniques of the church growth movement came from Peter Drucker who typed them from the church uh, sorry, from the communist movement. He stole them from it. And so at the end of the day what should we expect from the church when we allow the communist methodologies to enter the church? So instead of going to Jesus, how how would you Jesus reach people? We went to communists to tell us how to reach people. And so, so should we be shocked that we see things like this in the church? Because this is from the seeker-friendly movement. the Stanley says, not all of the Bible is equally inspired and equally important. Thank you very much. That's part of the seeker-friendly movement. That's what it produced. and the Stanley's church also at Northport baptized a transgender uh, woman who became a man. So we saw a couple of weeks ago that First Baptist Orlando baptized a guy practicing homosexual with married to another man. They baptized him and let him baptize other people, and now we have transgenders being baptized in Annie Stanley's church. Thank you very much, Rick Warren and Bill Hybels. The church put its faith in men rather than in God. And now we have church uh, host drag queen, Virgin Mary, pictures of Jesus stating that uh, perhaps Jesus was God in drag, Okay. Where did this come from? It didn't just pop up. It came from them. The church put its faith in them. Seeker friendly. We're just trying to reach the transsexuals, Brandon. Don't you understand? And here's the thing. Despite endless scandals, endless scandals about Hillsong, the churches continue to play the music from Hillsong. I don't understand this. I mean, seriously, I want to ask these churches, hey, man, how come you just, because you're playing a cult's music, and it sounds good, why don't you play the Mormon tabernacle in your church? Why don't you play the Jehovah Witness music? Better yet, why don't you get the religion of Tom Cruise and John Travolta and play their music in the church? What's the difference? What's the difference if you're going to play a cult's music in the church? How is that God-honoring? You have to churches do it every day. Seeker-friendly movement. And now we have the problem of female pastors popping up everywhere, which is not allowed. First Timothy 2, 12 through fourteen. It's not allowed. It's right there on the face of it, but yet it's happening. Thank you, Rick Warren. Thank you, Bill Hybels, former Christian worship partner and celebrity. Marries his homosexual lover. Of course they do, because the church went soft on homosexuality. It went. That's what happened. The secret friend. Well, we just don't want to call them, Make them feel uncomfortable. And so this is what happens when you don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. They start marrying themselves in the church. There you go. That's what happens. So now what's going on in the story? Watch this. Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness by the way, uh, by the spring on the way to Shur. Okay? So where's Shur? Shur is a pathway that leads from Israel to Egypt, and you see, I highlighted the area in yellow. Okay, so you see where you locate the Dead Sea right there. So go left on the screen, and that's where Abraham kind of is, a little bit down. And so there's Abraham and Sarah in the area of Israel, and then so she's going on the way of sure, and that's the path to sure. It appears that if she's on this path, Hagar is going back to Egypt. Okay. Even though she doesn't know where she's going, she's just going back to default. She's going back to where she came from. Ah, there's a principle here. When you decide, I'm going to run from the problems that I created, I don't want anything to do with them, and you created this. You have a partial responsibility. If you decide to run, you will decide to run and go to your default area. Spiritually speaking, what do you mean? I'll go back to the way I used to manage life. I'll go back to Egypt. I'll start doing the things I did to manage things, whether that's addictions, whatever it might be. You will go back to your default mode, okay? That's a danger. You don't want to do that because that's the, that's the risk of running. You go back to your old ways. Okay, so this is what's happening. We'll go back here, and he said, Now, by the way, the angel of the Lord, by the way, is a pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus before the incarnation, and he would appear as the angel of the Lord. So who's she talking to? Second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus, okay? So what did he say to her? He said in the book of Illusions, you're right. They're treating you bad. You just need to get away from them. You just need to make yourself happy. You just need to feel good. You have too short of a life. Don't waste your life on these people. Get away from them, and everything will be great. And I'll take you back to Egypt, and you'll live happily ever after as if this never happened to you. Does it say that there? No, it says, where have you come from, and where are you going? Now, the Lord knows this, but what is he asking a rhetorical question to her? Um, Appears to me you're running from problems. And it appears to me you have no clue what you're doing. It appears to me you're going to default and go back to Egypt, and you're going to get yourself the more mess. So let me ask these questions. Where are you going, and where are you coming from, where are you heading from, or going to? Because you will wander aimlessly, spiritually, when you run. That's the problem. She doesn't know what she's doing all she knows, I'm just going to get away from the problems. Yeah, but what about your, your family? What about this? What about that? Would you consider this? No, I just got to get out of California. I hear that a lot. I just got to get out of here. Well, do you have a job? No, I just need to get out of here. What about your family? I don't care. We're just going to go Wait a second, you sound like you're going to wander aimlessly. You have a church to go, we'll find something there when we get there. Good luck. Good luck. It sounds like you don't know what you're doing. You're wandering aimlessly because you're running from something. And what are you running from? That's what the Lord's putting back on her and puts back on this. What are you running from? She says, what, what does she say? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Oh, really? So, okay, why? Running away from problems is going to cause us to wander aimlessly. You won't know what to do. You won't know where to go. That's what he's trying to get her to to think about. Now, again, understand this, guys. If you're a Christian and you're going to do it God's way, it brings a lot of heat on you to stay in the problems. Because more problems are going to come your way as a Christian. That's just the way life is, okay? Okay? And the heat gets on you for being a Christian. So the heat starts coming on the disciples around Jesus, okay? And they're like, man, this, this, I I don't know, man, this is tough being around Jesus. And he starts using the terminology, you must eat my flesh, drink my blood, metaphorically speaking, in reference to believing on him. And they're like, whoa, what's that about? And they're, they're getting a lot of heat. And so a lot of people, I'm out of here, I'm done. They can't, they can't take the heat, so they bolt. And it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They couldn't take the heat of being around him. Because he will take you right into the fire. Okay? But unlike what Peter typically does, which, stick is, which means he sticks his foot in his mouth all the time, he says something brilliant here. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? You want to run from your problems. Jesus is their problem, by the way. He's causing the heat to come on them. Do you also want to go away, too? And everybody in this room has got to answer that question. Do you want to stay with Jesus in the fight? Because that's where the the problems are. But Simon Peter, God bless him, God bless him for saying this, answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Thank you. Thank you so much. Where are we going to run? Because in essence, to run is to run away from the will of God and away away from the the one who has the words of eternal life. That's what running does. It moves you from the person who can actually steer you through the problems. So you, in essence, create more problems by your running because you're running away from the one who can navigate it. So the angel of the Lord said to her, that's right, you need to get away. I can't believe she's treating you so bad. I, I, I just, it's beyond me that any human would treat you this way. I can't believe Sarah. I'm going to get her for that. You wait. You, I'll show you. I'll punish her for you, what she's doing to you. I can't believe that. What did he say? Two things. Return to your mistress. <gasps> what? Yeah, it implies you're going to return and you're going to stop this despising her right away. It's going to end today. But you're going to go back to your problem. Oh. So in essence, Messiah is saying that same thing to us. Yeah, Brandon, you got these problems. If you think you're going to run away, it's the opposite of what I would tell you. You go back to your problems. You face them and then I want you to do a second thing. Submit yourself under her hand. Oh. I don't want to hear that. No one in the room wants to hear that. She doesn't want to hear that. You mean I'm going to submit to somebody that's harsh with me and is abusing me and, 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 and calls me all kinds of names and, and it doesn't love me, doesn't care for me, is treating me this way and you're telling me to submit to that? Yes, I am. You go back to her, to her you face the problem and you submit to the problem in your life. Hagar, Brandon, you will submit. Submit to my problems? Yeah, you need to submit to your problem. What does that mean? It means, if I'm going to submit to my problems, it means I must accept what's going on and deal with it. And come under it and say, this is my life, this is my lot, and I've got to figure out a way to either cure this problem or cope with it and manage it. Because it's not going away, and I'm not going to get running. So he's told me to go back to it. okay. What good will come out of that, Lord? What good comes out of it of dealing with my problems? What good comes out of that? Well, you have to submit to either solve them or cope with them, and it's going to develop your character. What do you mean? Look what Romans 5 says. If you submit to your problems and embrace them and deal with them, we also glory in tribulations. It could be translated problems, the, the harshness of life coming upon you. What do you mean, you glory? I don't take delight in, in having people treat me bad. No, no, that's not what it's saying. It's what happens. It's the effect of dealing with them. Knowing what? That problems or tribulation produces what in you? Perseverance. What does perseverance mean? Like you have an iron will that nothing can stop you. That you can get beat down and still pick yourself up. That's what trials, problems do. It creates steel in your soul. I don't want to be a spiritual wimp, do you? Well, if I, you don't want to be a spiritual wimp and be pushed around by this world, then you deal with the problems. Because that's what it does. It, it puts steel in you. And then that steel, that perseverance, that iron will, what does it give you? It gives you character. That's what's missing in people. They don't have any character. If you don't have any character, you can't stand up to evil. You can't stand up to anything coming your way. So it produces character. And what does this character produce once I have this character? It produces hope. Hope. And, and, and the concept of hope is what, in what God says, and you have faith in what he says for the future. It produces that. So if, if you don't deal with your problems, then you don't have perseverance, then you don't have character, and then you don't have any hope, and that's why you're depressed and stressed out because you're not letting the effects of the problem work on you to become more like Christ look what he says my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various problems or trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience patient endurance to be able to to sustain yourself but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing that you become spiritually mature that's what he's saying that's the benefit that happens out of you but there's more than that look what he says The angel of the Lord, Jesus said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. Now what is he saying, counted for multitude? The Hebrew is saying, I'm going to take care of your little boy. Your little boy is going to face rejection from Abraham and Sarah. It's basically the implication here because we know the rest of the story. And your worry that you're going to have a problem is, is I'm going to promise you I will bless that little boy. And in fact, his descendants will be innumerable. That's what the Hebrew is trying to say. Ah, so don't worry about the kid. Because she's probably thinking, if I go back, they're going to persecute me, they're going to persecute my little boy, and it's just going to be hell on earth. No, no, don't worry about it. I will make him a great nation. Guess who that's referring to? The descendants of Ishmael are the Arab people. Are they innumerable? Yes, they are. They are innumerable. That's what he's referring to. So this is the blessing that if you do this, here's here's what I I would promise on my side. And so the same thing happens to us. Our blessing, what is our blessing? Blessed is the man who endures temptation, or should be parasmos, which is trials or problems. Blessed is the man who deals with their problems. What's the reward? For when he has been approved at the judgment seat of Christ, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So he's saying, look, if you just endure the problems you're here, one day you will rule and reign with me. I promise I will reward you for this. It's not just simply building your character. I will reward you. I understand what you're going through, but I will reward that. Do you want that reward from him? Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. So it's Jesus who gives her the name to call him. And really, Ishmael, when you pronounce it in Hebrew, is Yisma El. Yisma. What does Yisma mean? Hears. El is short for Elohim. So what is it saying? God hears my affliction. God hears my problems. That's what Ishmael means. He's the God who hears me, and so she says, because the Lord has heard your affliction. What is this point pointing out to? God is a sympathetic high priest, the Messiah, and therefore He feels the pain that you're going through in the problems. He understands it. He knows the harassment you're getting. He knows the stress. He knows the anxiety, and He has felt it Himself. That's what we want, a God who understands me, that he feels the same thing I'm feeling, and that's what he's saying to her. I get it, I know, I felt it too. I'm with you, I understand the complexity of your problem. But call him Ishmael, for I hear you. I'm watching what's happening to you. And what's what's this? This is the hope. He hears her, because what, what he's gonna do is reward her, obviously. And what's the reward for us? What's the hope that character produces? What are we looking forward to this day? Revelation 21, four through five. This is where your hope is. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Personally. The idea is this. That when we are there with him, And I'm not talking about the judgment. This is a different thing. God is personally going to work with us, Jesus, you and him, one-on-one. And you're going to go over all your life and all the problems that you had. And what he's promising to do is to wipe away the tears from it. It's the idea of God taking his finger and moving that across your eye to take the tears away. It's a metaphor But what it means, it means that he will reconcile all the problems that you dealt with in life. Okay? And he's going to reconcile. He's going to tell you all the meanings behind it, how you can understand it. Because right now he's asking you to trust him. But he will one day tell you, this is why this went down. This is why this happened. This is why that. That's what's implied here. Is that everything will be made manifest to you to understand. And by doing so, he wipes away your tears. The psalmist says he keeps your tears in a bottle because he's re- he knows all the pain and suffering you're going through and he's going to reconcile that. Now, he doesn't simply reconcile it and tell you why it happened and what were the reasons for it and all the, the things that he brought out of it. He's not going to just do that. He promises this. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. No more problems. I'm going to create an environment for you where you will be problem-free one day. Never again will you get sick and old. Never again will some knucklehead do something in your society to destroy your society. Never again will you even sin against me. Never again will you create your own problems. Never again. There will be an environment where there are no problems ever for all eternity. He promises you that in the next life, but not in this one. Not this life, but in the next. And that's where you put your hope. You put your hope that one day you will be problem free. One day you will be out of this mess and free of that. And that, what that does is keep you moving forward. It keeps you getting up on Monday morning and fighting every day, even though you have a problem right on your hands. And he says, He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. It will end one day. It's coming. You have to hope in that. If you hope in that, then you can deal with the problems that face you today. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn through Abraham and Sarai. Whew! brings a lot of conviction on me. Seeing, taking matters into our own hands, doing things out of your will. We don't want to do that, Father. We want to stay on the straight and narrow. We want to stay in your will. We want to be sensitive to how you lead and wait patiently for you to open doors and close them. And so, Father, give us that insight, that discernment on what you're doing with us and our problems and how you want uh, us to face these problems, not run from them, and deal with them effectively so we can become more like your son. And, Father, we thank you so much for the future that we have, a day where we have no problems. That's amazing. Thank you for promising that to us That gives us so much hope. And I pray if someone today doesn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, they would do so today. But they don't have that hope of eternal life and that promise that one day they will be problem-free. Help them to understand that Jesus, Father, died on a cross for their sins, was buried and rose on the third day to give everlasting life to anyone who will believe. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.